0: Such a useful and poignant topic of discussion, effort or energy. On retreat, the mind becomes more refined. We have so much cultural programming around effort, striving, take responsibility for your life, Pick yourself up by the bootstraps. In a way, uh, it's anytime we feel helpless or powerless, it's a, it's a very profound kind of defeat for the ego. Other people seem to be able to make things happen in their lives. So I think it's really useful for us to reflect on effort and to appreciate that in a way, because from the Buddha's point of view, this is a natural process. The path of awakening is a natural process. So it means that our whole idea of effort and energy has to be transformed, like our usual notions, they're just not going to work here. So I'll continue talking about it tonight and maybe even tomorrow night a little bit. We'll see how things unfold. And a couple of points I'd like to get across that I, I sort of began talking about last night, but... We picked it up in some of the small groups today. But one point is that right effort, the right way for the mind to apply itself, completely depends on the moment. And any moment is made up of two things there is what is arising, and specifically, part of what is arising is the mind that's knowing what else is arising. So, right effort, the right application, showing up in the right way, is specific to what's happening in that moment, including the kind of mind, the qualities of mind, that's knowing that moment. So, we can't predict, we can't tell ourselves ahead of time, this is how I'm going to apply myself on retreat. This is how I'm going to practice. This is what it's going to look like. Which is what we tend to do. You know, we're, we we are get up in the morning and after a few cups of coffee, we say, okay, today, you know, I'm going to exercise and I'm going to eat this way and I'm going to behave this other way. And we paint this picture for ourselves and then something else happens. <laughs> and uh, we... uh we hurt because, you know, we, we thought we had everything lined up, that we had the right effort for the day we imagined. But what showed up wasn't the day we imagined it, imagined, and not the mind we imagined. Something else showed up. So effort needed to look or fit that situation. I wonder what that would have been. So I'm going to read a little bit from Ajahn Tanisaro, or Tanisaro Bhikkhu, and uh, one of his great books is called The uh, Wings to Awakening, where he talks about the basic models the Buddha used to teach. And so this is a section of that book, Wings to Awakening, which, by the way, you can get online. You don't, You can order or ask for a paper copy from the monastery, otherwise you can download it for free online. And then there's a chapter on each of the basic models. There's a chapter on the eightfold path, a chapter on the hindrances, on the seven factors of awakening. These are the lists that make up the wings to awakening. And one of those sets of teachings is the four exertions, the Buddhist teachings on energy effort. And so this is uh, Ajantani Saro's introduction A little bit into it, he says, perhaps the most surprising element in right exertion is the role played by desire, which is usually associated with the craving that acts as a cause for suffering. So remember, whenever the Buddha is using right, the word is sama. He's not saying uh, right in, uh, in a dualistic sense. He's saying right in a skillful sense, like the exertion, that leads to freedom from the, as Ajahn Tanisaro translates it, effluence. So he doesn't use the word defilements. The outflows of the mind. Sense desires and mm-hmm. outflow of the mind, attachment to views, attachment to doctrines of self, attach, attachment to becoming. These are the outflows. This is something we see on retreat a lot. Again, I was doing some walking practice before the talk tonight and I saw a lot of outflow about becoming. Not so much me becoming, but projects becoming, which involved me. So it is a a self becoming, you know, the one who is involved in the becoming of this project, who's somehow associated, who somehow will be happy if this project becomes as one as this one imagines it should become. And on and on. So we have these outflows. Right effort, right exertion are exertions, applications of mind that reduce or undermine these painful or stressful outflows. So it's a very pragmatic definition, right exertion. So the mo- he's saying the most surprising element is the role played by desire, which we usually associate with craving, the right, unwholesome aspect of the mind. He goes on, he says, we will treat this topic in more detail in another chapter where he talks about that, But but simply note here that the Buddha recognized that desire can be either skillful or unskillful, and that he freely admitted that skillful desire is a necessary factor in the path to the end of suffering and stress. The most important point in developing right exertion is to realize that the effort to abandon unskillful qualities and to develop skillful qualities must be skillful itself. Unskillful efforts at eradicating unskillful states, even if well intended, can often exacerbate the problem instead of solving it. Now that's another thing we learn on retreat all the time like we see the mind wandering away from the breath, and our reaction is quite hateful or judgmental or tight. And, and we see, we feel the reverberation of that judgment or that um, over-application of the mind, basically using hatred to take care of a problem, which doesn't, as we all know, doesn't work. Treating hatred with hatred, for instance, is less effective than treating it with the kind of understanding developed in the second stage of uh, mindfulness meditation, which you're looking at, well, what is the cause for this? Instead of hating whatever is arising that seems unskillful, like hatred, we're interested, well, how did it arise? How did this stressful state of mind arise? It's the same if anybody's going to be a parent or work with other people, let alone be a parent, or even have a pet. When the pet does something wrong, hating the pet, getting upset, isn't useful or functional at all. What's useful is doing our best to understand, well, how did that just happen? What was going on that made the dog or caused the dog to do that? So that maybe... I can rearrange the causes and conditions so that's less likely to happen. What did I feed the dog? What did the dog get into that it shouldn't have gotten into? You know, other things that we can look at as possible supporting causes. Joseph has... uh, Nice way of talking about effort or energy. He describes it in three ways. Steady like the pace of a great elephant. Courageous as a great warrior. Enthusiastic as a great lover. And you probably have seen some of these. And the question is, can we bring all three of these together like that Willingness to keep showing up, just do what's next. Not always having to evaluate or assess whether... No, no, we've already chosen to be on this retreat. This is not the time to decide whether we should be on retreat. We decided to be on retreat. So now is the time to just do the next thing. The next sit, the next walk, the next tea sipping... Gazing at the lake practice or whatever's next, but just to keep doing the next thing. To do our best to be skillful, to be undermining causes for stress and developing strategies for happiness. Right? Like I said last night. You know, what if this were our only assignment? You know, we have these days, how many seeds For happiness can be planted. How many seeds for unhappiness can we not plant? (laughs) I don't think I'll plant that one. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how many times have we caught ourselves like about to worry about something, uh, dig into something, set emotion that, you know, the causes for anger or being upset about something? And we realize, oh no, I don't have to do that. So that's the study. And the courageous is when something big arises that seems painful or scary. We have this sense of uh not shrinking, Uh that just because something's big and intense doesn't mean it's dangerous. And getting a sense to that Backing away from what's scary, or seems overwhelming, is actually dangerous. And there are lots of examples of this. I was just reading—I forget there are a couple of different things that I read recently. One was about bears, and the other was about mountain lions. But basically, they all say the same thing: Don't run. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't run from a predator, because it triggers. Right? They're pouncing instincts, you know, to run and pounce on you. So, and this is the same thing I, w- I mentioned earlier, I think, on this retreat, that uh, recently I was in New Jersey and we went to the shore and the waves were really nice that day. And, uh, you know, and I mean, these weren't big waves, but I've been in Hawaii in bigger waves. And it's like, you're out body surfing and the last thing you want to do is decide, no, that's too big. <laughs> and and start running away from it. Because you're definitely going to get Pummeled by the wave. You know, the best thing, if you don't want to surf it, it's just to go right into it. And then you'll be okay. But if you try to get out of the ocean, you know, when a wave's coming, it's not gonna happen. So this is the, the courage. It isn't so much that we're brave, it's there's some wisdom that understands that having to run from what's unpleasant or scary is a huge burden. It really governs or ends up governing, governing our whole life. Because not only are we running from the immediate threats, we're always imagining possible threats that we should begin to run from. We see this creeping in. You know, like people who are intense. You know, it's one thing when you see a thunderstorm coming and you decide to go inside, but then wondering, well, yeah, it's clear tonight, but what about tomorrow? Or the next night? How many times do we have to check for ticks? before we're sure. there are no ticks on the body. So it uh, the pos- the fear of possible threats is consuming. So there for all of us, we need this quality of courageousness that we're willing to die, that we're willing to lose, we're willing to be humiliated. Not because we want to die or lose or be humiliated, but demanding from life absolute security from death, humiliation and loss is much worse than any of those three things. Imagine how disconnected we'd have to be to to demand you know, non-death, non-loss, non-humiliation, how much we'd avoid in life, basically the whole thing. One way or another we'd have to shut down because how else do we imagine we're going to avoid humiliation, loss, and death? And then the last is enthusiasm of a great lover. And this is, you know, especially I think in Buddhist circles, you know, there's such a, Culturally, you know, such an emphasis on detachment and uh nothing phases me, equanimity kind of attitude. And, you know, if anybody has any enthusiasm, we just say, oh, they must be new to practice. <laughs> 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 they haven't seen that. And you all get there tonight with some of these teachings of the Buddha on Samvega, the spiritual urgency or... How many tears have we shed in the great rounds of birth and rebirth? But there is a place for this enthusiasm, and I mentioned it briefly last night in some of the discussion about finding some joy, this basic joy even children have of learning, of discovery, of a sense of moving in a good direction. It really brings us alive. And this isn't, of course, it's many times amplified when this learning has to do with ultimate freedom. But even ordinary things, where we've been feeling a little dead to the world, nothing matters, and then we just start watering the plants at home, something simple. And we start to feel some basic joy of doing something productive, something that needs to be done, and we start to feel enthusiastic about life. like the mind is regaining this basic sense that life is something to give ourselves to. Life is something to respond to, to be generous with, to give ourselves away to, not something to um, not something we can demand something from or bargain with. So it's not like, okay, I'll do that. I'll water the plants if I get something. No, the, the getting something is the watering is being productive. That itself is, uh, you know, is that enthusiasm. We mistrust it because we've seen how many times we've gotten burnt with it because instead of just the joy of doing, the joy of engagement. We've, the mind has taken it further and we imagine, because I'm feeling so good, I'm going to get something. But if we could just stay grounded, no, no, this is what you get. And it's enough. To participate fully is what we get. Something may or may not happen down the road, like even falling in love. Instead of thinking... You know, falling in love is about this great thing, this perfect relationship forever after. No, no, the activity of falling in love itself is what we get, until it's something else. And then we get that. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org